Well, hello, everyone, and are you ready for Ephesians 2 as much as I am? But first of all, would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to be able to delve into this beautiful letter, a letter of instruction, but also an eye-opener, a remember type of letter, all what we have because of Christ Jesus. Father, I just pray that that your Holy Spirit will, will just open our hearts and our eyes and our ears to be able to hear this, all what you want us to hear. Father, we know that there is so much and we don't want to miss anything that you have for us. Lord, may our may May we be willing and ready to open up our spiritual eyes and ears so that we do desire to not miss anything. And we commit this all to you in our precious Savior's name. Amen. All right, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true, and it is all that I need. Last week, we mentioned how Paul wrote this letter. Some of his letters were because there was some problems in the churches. And this particular letter, though, he wrote, it is not because there's a problem. It's because he just wanted to grow and mature this church and keep reminding them all what we have in Christ Jesus. And so it has that, it has that feel that um, maybe even Paul, maybe maybe he even woke up one morning and, and because he was human, just like you and I, sometimes you wake up, not on, on the wrong side of the bed, or I'm sure he's not crabby or anything like that, but, you know, he's been going through a lot, you know, being confined, and, and maybe he just knew that he needed to pick me up. And when you know that you need to pick me up, if you if you don't do something to get yourself headed in the right direction, it's so easy for human nature to take you farther, farther down the wrong one. And so maybe he woke up one morning and and he no one was coming to visit that day, and so he decided to write the um, the Ephesus church. And so maybe did the different people of the church was they were going through his mind and 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 sometimes when you write a letter to someone I I thought about that this week sometimes you you're you're thinking about writing the letter for someone else but in the midst of writing the letter you find that as you're writing it it helps you. You know, you're writing to help someone else, but in in the course of helping someone else, you're hearing yourself or you're you're reading what you're writing and and you could almost hear Paul as he wrote the first chapter getting more and more excited about about you know who Jesus is and what he's done and and we talked about that if you go through Ephesians 1, if you would read it every day or if you even read it once a week, it would just change, well, it will. It will change our frame of mind. It will change our whole disposition. It will remind us how we have been blessed. We have been blessed from the heavenly realms, and we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And when we get blessed from the heavenly realms, these blessings are so much more than the physical or the human blessings that we we encounter day by day. But these blessings that come straight from the throne, these keep us going. They keep us um, fresh and alive and excited and strong. And I think this is what was happening to Paul. So the first chapter you saw last week, I mean, he's definitely helping these people, this particular church, but I think as Paul was writing it, he was reminding himself just how wonderful grace is, how beautiful mercy is, what we deserve. And so anyway, we're starting today's lesson. And, and when I wrote these questions months ago, I had really no idea, um, and that's why if, I, if you're under the power of God's Spirit, I love months later, you almost think, how did I know 
what to what to question here well why why did I write this particular question and then when we're studying it in this particular time I think oh the Holy Spirit is always ahead of us and if we're willing to listen to his voice rather than our own I have just learned so much in these last weeks but in the questions, and I know that usually I don't bring up the questions, well, maybe a little bit, but today I'm going to do something a little different because the first question I asked, who is Paul talking to from the first verse in chapter 2? And, and of course, my whole point was for you to, instead of just doing the lesson, you find that this is such a personal, a personal letter to, yeah, to the church of Ephesus, but because the Bible is so alive and, and relatable, and I mean, I, I've said many times, try to hear Jesus talking to you, because it, this is his word, and he's talking to you. But this particular chapter, I think, really gets personal because Paul writes, as for you, you were dead. And so I couldn't help but write that question, who is Paul talking to? So my intent was for you to get your mind off the church of Ephesus, but that you were hearing the Holy Spirit work through Paul to talk to you, to talk to me. So when I asked you this question, so is this chapter, well, every chapter is, but is this particular chapter, is it personal? And it is very personal. I mean, the book of Ephesians is, it's, a, well, it's the foundation of the Christian faith, but it's also great instruction to you and I. I think in the first chapter, Paul reminds us all who we are and what we have in Christ. But then he comes right back in the second chapter and says, but I want you to almost like put a mirror in front of your face. When you're listening to the Holy Spirit tell you these words, that you know that they are for you. It is so personal. This is your foundation, but this is great instruction to teach us how to live and to keep growing and maturing and getting stronger in the Lord Jesus. So in the second question, well, it isn't a question. I wanted you to describe your true self without a Savior. I hope you thought about that. What are you and I? Because this is the second chapter of Ephesians. Is, is about what we once were. And according to Paul in this chapter, he mentions it. He uses the word remember a couple of times. But he wants us always to not, to not stay there. But always remember from from where we came from, what we were without a Savior. So I, I said, describe. Describe yourself without a Savior. Now, you can use Paul's words, and, and he misses none when it comes to really making it clear that you and I, we are dead. We are, we are spiritually dead. Now, it's important, I think, that we realize that, that you know, our makeup, we're made up in, in, you know, with a lot of different parts to us. I mean, I mean, we have a mental life, we have a moral life, we have a physical life, we have an emotional life, and a, that, that part of our life is quite visible. That part of our life is quite visible visible. I mean, people can see and when, when our mental life isn't right, or when our moral life isn't right, or when our physical life or emotional life isn't right. It's pretty obvious. There's something about our spiritual life, and I think it's actually, I'm, it's the most important, of course, but can also be the most dangerous when it's not right because we can hide that. Our spiritual life involves our heart. It involves the working of God's Spirit. And, 
and we can know that something is going on inside and yet we can camouflage it so that it doesn't look like it on the outside. Now, Paul gets right to the heart of the matter. Now, obviously, we are not mentally dead. We're not morally dead. We're not physically dead. We're not emotionally dead. We're not really dead. But he says, without Jesus, you are spiritually dead. Do you realize that? And that's why this, this describing yourself without a Savior is, is so important for you to take a look at and realize how critical it is. Paul is saying, without Jesus, you and I, we are lost. We are, we are, we are hopeless. We, we are caught in our transgressions and in our sins. And so, what do you deserve? What do I deserve? The next question, what do you and I deserve? And actually... I mean, when you look at it, we are, we are separated from him. We are headed to hell. It's by our choice. And without accepting Jesus, when you hear the gospel and you've chosen not to receive a Savior, you never wanted to look at yourself as, you didn't want to look at your true self. You didn't want to go and delve into your spirit spiritual life just didn't want to go there probably because down deep you know it's in trouble and you don't want to face it yourself and you certainly don't want anybody else to see it so Paul gets us into the reality and the severity and it's time you put up a mirror it's time you take a look at the inside of yourself and you you Stop fooling around. You stop playing games. You stop camouflaging. And you get down to the basics of what is your spiritual life like? And if your true self, your spiritual self, without a savior, you are dead, you're lost, you're hopeless, and what do you and I deserve? We deserve eternal death. I mean, we have done this enough to know. We've been through Genesis. We, we know God's terms. And when we choose to go our way instead of his, there's consequences. What we deserve is eternal death. But this is where these first two chapters are so gorgeous because we see the love of God the Father, who's willing to come up with a plan. And it is grace that undeserved, because we, what did you and I deserve? We deserved eternal death. We didn't obey the terms. We did not say yes to what was offered to us. We would not look at ourselves and see ourselves as, as needing a savior. We want to think we are totally capable on our own. We have heard John the Baptist, Jesus, and now Paul. We have gone through in the last few years, we have heard these men preach the word repentance. That was John the Baptist's first word in his sermons when Jesus started his earthly ministry he started with repentance after Paul's conversion repentance when John wrote the words of Jesus in the revelation to the seven churches when they had veered off course when five of the seven churches veered off course, they were told to repent. Repent is the word. And if you are not willing to humble yourself and to realize that, then you deserve the consequences. But instead, when you come to Jesus, 
because of God's plan, because the Father came up with this salvation plan, and Jesus was willing to fulfill this plan. And you and I are willing to accept the cross and the blood sacrifice. When we're we're willing to see ourselves for what we are, when we can say Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. The Father accepted that sacrifice. And when we go and when we accept Jesus and his sacrifice, we were given an opportunity. We were given a way out. And that's why Paul, when he started writing this letter and he started getting into it and he started using words like redemption and forgiveness and praise to his glorious grace, that we've been lavished with wisdom and understanding, which is God's spirit that comes and lives within us, ready to lead and guide us every step of the way if we're willing to listen. On the very second we come to the cross, I mean, it was, it was so exciting. And Paul's heard and preached this sermon over and over, and yet when he's writing these words, you can hear him. This is a story that you and I should, the more we hear it, the better it gets. And this is what Paul wants us to see. You and I, we have all this in Christ Jesus. We didn't deserve it, but instead of getting you know, that's that, the beautiful definition of grace and mercy. Grace being that we get what we don't deserve. And that's, and that's a second chance. That's being born again. That's having our sins washed away. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And that is eternal death. So instead of, instead of getting what we deserve, what do we get? We get abundant life. We, we get a dwelling with him now and forevermore. We have the dwelling, indwelling of his spirit that he's with us every second of every day. But then we have the future looking forward to the fact that we will see Jesus face to face. So I asked you, what is grace to you? What is undeserved favor? What does that mean to you? Do you take a look at what you were? And and can you remember that time where your eyes were opened and you realized that you weren't born? You weren't born saved. You were born in sin. And that's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless a man be born again, first with water, but then by the Spirit, you need to be born again. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He gave us a second chance. That's grace. And then the next question, what have you what have you and I been saved from? Because we use that word born again, we're now saved. What have you been saved from? I think the the thing we automatically say, well, I'm saved from my sins, but it's more than that. It's bigger than that. I'm saved from me. Jesus saved me from myself. He saved me from my sins. He saved me from the judgment. He saved me from eternal death, from hell. What does it mean that salvation is a gift? It's a gift. So well put. It's a gift. It is freely given to you out of love. You couldn't do anything to earn it, to buy it. So we have to, you know, so often we hear these terms, or I call them church terms. But 
Paul is helping us to see that they're just not church terms. It's time we take a look and look at these lessons and see ourselves and no one else. This letter was written to me. I hope you can say that. Jesus wants you and I to see what he's, what he's done, what he was willing to do. Jesus wants us to see what real love looks like. But Jesus also wants you and I to see ourselves, And that this salvation is a gift. So just take a look at those questions. And as Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. I looked transgressions up and, and I checked the King James. I wanted to see what King James used for the word transgressions. King James uses the word trespasses. I mean, he uses the word sin because sin is sin. But I kind of like that word trespass because it helped me to understand. I mean, I understand transgressions, but trespasses kind of helped me to see that I crossed. When you trespass, you see signs all the time that says, do not trespass. In other words, you keep off this property. And when, when, you, when you and I read that we would be well, we were once, we were once dead in these trespasses, these, because we crossed the line. We trespassed into sin where God did not want us to go. We crossed his boundary line. And sin means that we missed the mark. See, so often, you know, we don't like rules. We don't like to be told what to do. But we can be so grateful that God set up boundaries. That he did say you can't cross this line. He called it trespass. You may not trespass. You, I don't want you sinning. I don't want you missing the mark. Because then you are not going to experience all what I have for you and you're going to experience consequences that are going to be painful. Because disobedience, disobedience results in punishment. So when you look at these two words, you don't want to trespass. You don't want to go into territory that God said is off limits because he knows what will, it will do to us. He's, he loves us so much to let us go into that territory. We can be glad he puts these commandments and these instructions around us to kind of keep us within the fence and don't trespass because it's going to be dangerous and it's going to be destructive. And sin, well, I think the simplest way to look at sin is it's spelled S-I-N. And what letter is in between S and N? And I. I think it's that simple of definition. Sin is when I miss God's mark because I want to do it my way. It's pride it's because I don't want to listen to him. He's, he's almighty, sovereign God, yet I think I know better. And when I want to do it my way. So, we continue in verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, Paul is just saying, take a look at yourself. Remember what you were before you came to Jesus. Look, you were dead in your transgressions. You trespassed. You, you wanted to do it your way. 
and you were lost. You were hopeless. You were headed to severe and eternal consequences. And unless you made a turn, you would still be following the ruler of this world. You would still be listening to the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient because you would be, you'd be one of them. You would still be following the enemy. You'd still be following Satan. And you would still be trespassing. All of us. Then, then Paul, Paul puts it in verse 3. He says, okay, now you know what you are in Christ Jesus. You know what he's done for you in, the, in chapter 1. And then he says, and chapter 1 is going to get better and better as long as you remember what you've been saved from, what you once looked like, where you were once headed. And you would still be like that if it wasn't for you coming to Jesus. And then he says in verse 3, you know what? That's all of us. Because all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us, we lived among them at one time. All we cared about was gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. I know some people think that, you know, when you haven't, maybe you haven't even gotten a traffic ticket in your life. Maybe, you know, you never got in trouble at school or maybe you never had any trouble growing up with being disobedient to your parents. And maybe you were a really good kid. You were, you're a good person. And it's hard for you to take a look at this chapter and say, but that's not me. That's just bad people that do bad things. What Paul is trying to say, and really look how religious he was. Look what a good kid he was. All he cared about was, was going to school and learning more and more about the Israel nation and, and the Jews and and. Judaism and being a Pharisee. I mean, you don't get much better kid than that. And what he's trying to get all of us to see is that no matter who you are, no matter what you haven't done, or trouble you haven't gotten in, every one of us has a bad heart. Every one of us is lost. Unfortunately, every one of us, like John Newton wrote in Amazing Grace, every one of us was a wretch. See, when you really take a look at who you are without Jesus, then you can come to terms with Paul is saying here. All of us. Because we all lived to our own self. It was all about me. And that is sin. Because if you go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and you watch Adam and Eve, it really wasn't about, it certainly wasn't, self wasn't born yet. It, self wasn't even something that they thought about. Maybe it wasn't even something, I mean, their whole, their whole emphasis was on walking with God, their relationship with God, the perfection of that relationship. Then it, their eyes were not on themselves or even as coupled, their eyes were on God. And when your life is right with God, I think that's what it helped me to see in Genesis 1 and 2. When you're walking in a right relationship with God, it just helps in every other area of your life. It helps you then make decisions right. It helps you deal with unlovable people right. 
It's so easy when, especially when someone has wronged you, to get defensive and to, and then, and then the bond is broken, and then relationships are are severed. And see, it all has to do with self. But when your eyes are off self and they're on to God, you know how to live. You know how to live the right way in righteousness because God has made us right through the blood of his son. But once we all lived to gratify self, following self-desires, self-thoughts, and like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. We were objects of wrath. Do you know that in, until you come to Jesus, we are objects of wrath because that means we will have to deal with the wrath of God someday at judgment. That's why we are objects of wrath before Jesus. Because it's at judgment when, when the Bible says we will see God's wrath. But when you come to Jesus, that's another one of the greatest perks of all. We will not have to stand in that judgment and experience God's wrath. But because of his great love for us, see, that's what we deserved. But because of his great love for us, he wanted to come up with a plan to bring us back into that right relationship Bottom line, I think if, if you had to wake up every day and just say one thing to get you going in the right direction before you even get out, get out of bed, is to say, and today, he loves me. Today, an almighty, sovereign God loves me and nothing can separate me from that love. I am loved. Because of that great love, God who is rich in mercy. See, we talked about that. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Instead of getting what we deserved, we got his great love. And what was that? How did he demonstrate that love? By making you and I alive. Instead of dead in our transgressions and our trespasses and sins. We have been made alive. Instead of the broken relationship, our, we are now alive with Christ. Our relationship is now, is now come together. It's real. We've been made alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you and I have been saved. He came up with that plan while we were still so dead in our transgressions. And he is still willing to love us that much to come up with a plan while we were yet sinners. It is by that grace we can be saved, be given that second chance. God raised us up with Christ and seated us up with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I had to think about that. I thought, why did why did the Holy Spirit have Paul put it this way? Because physically, physically, you and I are, well, we are not. I mean, we're still pretty earthbound here, and so we are not seated with him in the heavenly realms. So presently, we're located here. But I think here, he wants us to see how our position has changed so much that it gives us a visual 
that things have changed so much because we've come to Christ. Instead of being doomed and hopeless and lost in the, in the things of this world, we have been raised, even though physically we're not there, but our heart, we have changed so much that that we are, we are just totally in a different spiritual place. I don't know how else to say it. But instead of being stuck here, we have the hope. Even though we're not there yet, our, our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears and our spiritual heart tells us that that's going to be our home. That's our real home. We are tied with Christ Jesus. We've been assigned a new place spiritually. We've been set free of this world. And spiritually, we are now with Christ at the right hand of the Father. He wants us to see that that is just almost so unfathomable. And that's why he used words that that only is possible because of his uncomparable riches of his grace. I mean, you can't compare the riches of his grace, that undeserved favor. We can't begin to compare his grace and mercy to anything else. And there was no one more kind than God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But given us this new home, given us this, this new assigned place that spiritually we are seated at the right hand I just think that is amazing. What a different way, what a different place to put your eyes. I'm not stuck here anymore. I have a future. I do not live in hopelessness. Because I have a home that I am going to, that in fact my spiritual life is already there. I've already been assigned. You know, I heard, I read something this week about the fact that dead corpses are not capable of reviving themselves. So when Paul called us dead in our transgressions or trespasses and sin, we were dead, we were hopeless, we were lost in it. And unless, so we are incapable. A dead corpse is incapable of reviving itself. And so that is a beautiful comparison because, okay, we're lost and we're dead in our transgressions. We're a dead corpse spiritually. I think that's why Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I think there's another place in scripture where it says, you wouldn't even seek me on your own. See, we're basically a dead corpse and we are incapable of reviving ourselves. And that's where, that's where it comes back to Ephesians 1.13 that we went through last week. This is the pattern. This is the formula. But we, we don't appreciate it. We don't realize that this is this formula. These are the terms and there is no other way until you see yourself as a dead corpse. A spiritually dead corpse. And the fact that 
He's going to make sure that we hear the gospel. We would not seek him on our own. And I think that's where the word predestined comes because he desires, he planned to bring us all back. That's what he wanted. Because he knew we were all dead corpse. And his plan, his desire, he predestined that his plan would bring us all back into that right relationship. So he wants us to, first of all, hear the gospel. This is, this, is, this is the formula. You have to hear the gospel. You have to hear the message of Jesus. You have to hear how lost you are, but how wonderful it is that we have a Savior. So you hear the whole story of the gospel. You see yourself, and then you have a decision to make. See, this is where I think we get a little confused with some of these terms because just like in the garden, he says, okay, you cannot eat from this tree. Any other tree is fine, but you cannot eat from this tree. They heard the story. They had to choose what they were going to do. You eat from this tree, you will live. You eat from this tree, you will die. When we hear the message of the gospel, it's basically the same thing. You eat from me, Jesus says. You eat from me. I become a part of you. You realize how lost you are, but you see what I've come to do for you. Then you have to decide whether you're going to believe it, if you're going to choose life or you're going to choose death. You choose yourself, you are choosing eternal death. But you choose me, you are choosing eternal life. So Paul makes it very clear. It's the same. It's not complicated. He loves us all. He predestined us all. He planned and desired for this message to affect every heart, to buy everyone back, because he didn't want anyone to eternally perish. God so loved this whole world. Well, you have to choose to believe it. You say yes, Paul says in Ephesians 1.13, you heard the gospel, you believe it, and you now are sealed. You are sealed with God's Holy Spirit who now comes to live inside of you and he is your deposit now, guaranteeing you of what is ahead. So in these verses, Paul is, is making sure that we see his incomparable grace. That we see his selfless kindness. It is by this grace, and that's why he, he reiterates in verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from ours, this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. He's just reiterating, no, you could do nothing to earn this or buy this. This grace is totally out of his great love for you. But you have before you before you accept it, you see yourself as needing it because you don't need a savior. You'll never ask to have one if you don't think you need one. And I believe that's the reason for chapter two. He just makes it so personal that you have to see yourself for what you are. Then you will just, you just can't wait to accept his grace. And you realize that it is a gift. When you accept this gift and then faith, you, you start believing without seeing. It's part of the gift. 
You watch then his Holy Spirit take a hold of your heart and through, through scripture, you hear Jesus talking to you and showing you a new way. And the whole goal is for you and I to see less and less of ourselves and more and more of him. For we are God's workmanship. Because once we start becoming more like Jesus, we're going to see, we're going to see the works manifested in our life. Grace and mercy, repentance and acceptance of a Savior comes first. It's the message of the gospel. You choose to believe it. You are then in, instilled, you're, you're filled with the indwelling of God's Spirit. And then you watch that you are going to be changed. You're going to start becoming more and more changed. And you're becoming more and more like Jesus. That's God's workmanship. And the more you become like Jesus, the more then you start seeing the works that come from your salvation. Not for it. Oh no, that salvation, salvation is totally by grace alone. Works play nothing in securing our salvation. But works play they play everything to prove it. Did you catch that? Works play nothing to secure your salvation. That comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. By grace, we have been saved alone. But Paul says, because now you are being dwelt with God's Spirit. You are put on a whole different path. You're going to start listening to the Holy Spirit instead of yourself. You're going to watch yourself day by day become more and more Christ-like because you are God's workmanship. And so out of you then will come good works. But good works then are proof of what Jesus and his Spirit is doing in your life. Just remember, works don't produce salvation. They're just a result of our salvation. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. He did his part. He came up with a plan. Jesus fulfilled that plan. Now he gave us his very spirit to live out the plan. And he expected as we live out the plan to prove how grateful we are for our salvation, that our eyes go to him, our purpose for life goes to him, our worth goes to him. It changes everything about us. He prepared that in advance. He knew once we came into a saving relationship with him, we would be so changed that out of our life not only comes the fruit of his spirit, but out of our life comes good works that will then show the world and keep kind of keep it going. They can see through us something that they are lacking, something that they want. Through our works, are we showing Jesus? Through our works, are we showing people how much he loves them and wants them in a relationship? Therefore, remember, Paul says again, remember. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves circumcised. In other words, he says, Gentiles, remember? Remember how there was such a division? 
the circumcised Jew thought that the uncircumcised Gentile was just nothing short of a dog worth nothing. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope. You were without God in the world. I kind of looked at that, and I think Paul was saying, you were old for five. Do you remember that? Do you remember the day that you were separate from Christ? Can you imagine that? You were so caught up in yourself, you didn't even see. You were so blinded by the enemy. You was in your own self. You thought you were, you thought you were adequate in and of yourself. Remember that time you were separate from Christ? You were excluded. You were excluded from, from belonging. He was talking straight to those Gentiles. You know how you felt, how you would have loved to have been a Jew because they were like privileged. But you were an outcast. You were excluded. You were foreign. You were without hope. You were without God. Over five. But, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. You know how far apart you were? You talk about a big, a big um, valley between you two, between Jew and Gentile. You remember that. Well, now, look, because of Jesus, yeah, you were once far away and you had that big gully in between you, but now you've been brought near. There's only one thing that can bring people together who have differences like that, and that is the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility. Boy, sounds like today, doesn't it? If you want to, if you want to solve racial divide, if you want to solve socially the social divide, I mean, you can what what everybody is divided about now. This passage of scripture would solve it all. That's why, that's why the division that we're experiencing in our world today is such a hard problem. Because Paul just said, how you fill a divide. How you break down the walls of hostility. You abolish by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. You, Jesus' blood takes down every wall, every divided wall that keeps us apart. He abolishes all those man-made things that we do, that we come up with, that divide people. Look what Paul said. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. See, Paul's talking about Jew and Gentile. And that pretty much covers all the bases because there was no greater divide than between Jew and Gentile. And if Jesus' blood can mend that and bring them together, then if every person on this earth, if their heart would come to know Christ and they would see themselves as they really are in need of a Savior, all those walls would come down. 
because it wouldn't be about us. It would be about him. And that's where we would center in. He's creating, instead of all the division, he creates one new man. All this world, all the nations, all of our differences could come together under one Lord. That's his plan. That's his purpose. And in, in making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Can't you see my point here? See, Jesus is the answer for the world today. There is no other way. There is no other way to peace. There is no other way to fill the gap, to break down the walls. Paul ends this chapter by saying, consequently, so then, you are no longer foreigners, aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. See, can't you see that that's what predestined is? It was God's plan. It was God's desire to bring all men together under Jesus. Because guess what? We all need him when you're willing to look at yourself and know how badly you need a Savior. And he's the one and only that every one of us need to come to. But then look what happens. The world, the world. We would no longer have foreigners or aliens. We'd all be fellow citizens. We'd all be God's people. We would all be members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. You better believe it. Jesus, the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I say amen to that. That's God's plan. That's God's purpose. That Jesus be the one to bring us all back into one new humanity. There is no other one that could bring us all into one humanity. And the thing is, not only is there no other one, no other one is even permitted. No other way is permitted except through the blood of Christ to bring us all together. why we have every spiritual blessing. Those of us who come to know Jesus. I'll tell you the spiritual blessings we can experience is light and peace, hope, a future, new eyes, new ears that keep us looking forward, that keep us looking to Jesus, looking to our eternal home. Heavenly Father, all I can say is amen. Thank you for these two chapters so far that have just helped us remind ourselves from what we were. And I pray, Lord, in case there's someone who's listening today who never really has come to that place 
that they really humbly, that they really haven't ever humbly seen themselves as they truly are and confessed and repented and come to the cross of Christ. I pray that they don't waste another minute. But for some of us who maybe are, who have been Christians for a long time, may we never get tired of hearing this and remembering from what we came from. What a difference that can make in how we get up in the morning, how we face the day, how we face difficult days, how we face the pressures of the world, how we deal with life. Father, we know we belong to you. We experienced your great love. You've brought us back. Father, I pray now that we just say thank you, Father, for coming up with a plan. Thank you, Jesus, for fulfilling the plan. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for being the one to help these sinful human beings live out this glorious plan of salvation. That out of us then comes good works. That we can share Jesus that people want to come along because they see something in our lives. And his name is Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.